ahead. Now, I hope you're enjoying the summer hits from uh, just the response of these last songs. I know that you are. You know, I asked our worship team uh, when we had this idea. It's always good in the summer. I like uh, being able to bounce around. You're going to get to hear a bunch of different pastors on our staff come through here and preach on their favorite verse, what their summer hit is. And so when we were talking about this series, I asked our worship team, I said, I want you to bring the best music, man, from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and I want you to, I want you to sing it and do it right. So for you youngins uh, that may not have know, n- known any of those last songs that we did, all right, I'm, I'm teaching you what a good playlist is, okay? And so uh, that, that was uh, some hits uh, from the, the 70s. You might not have known it, but your parents and your grandparents knew it. And uh, just great songs. And I love this whole idea of bringing these summer hits because summer hits have staying power, you know. Uh, when you listen to a hit, uh, you just know it. It was number one at one time. And I love my playlist. I, I operate off a playlist. Like I have a hymns playlist. I grew up on Southern Gospel going to the Gaithers. That was like my family's fun experience. And so we went to the Gaithers and... And uh, I love Southern Gospel. So when I'm in a melancholy mood, that's what I'll listen to. I'll turn on uh, Southern Gospel. I'll turn on my old hymns for some reason. That just does it for me. That's what I like. Uh, I have an uh, Easter playlist. And so about six weeks uh, leading up to Easter. Now, you got to know, Easter's like NBA championship, World Series, and Super Bowl combined for the church, right? And so I got to get fired up for Easter. And so I've got a playlist, and I collect songs through the, through the year that have nothing to do but the, the cross and the resurrection. So about six weeks out, I'll start playing that playlist. I'm getting ready for Easter Sunday morning. It's coming. And uh, I have a, uh, a workout playlist. I haven't been using it much lately, but I do have one uh, that I listen to. It's got my Lecrae on there, you know. Um, that, that music's bumping a little bit. I like that, that music when I choose to work out. I mean, I got a playlist for it. I got a Christmas playlist. Now, don't, don't you judge me, but that starts about the second week of November, okay? I know some of you, you know, it's got to be after Thanksgiving. Scrooge, you got to get over it, all right? I start the second week in November, and I go because I'm going to get the most out of my Christmas. We got a playlist for everything. I got a George Strait playlist because you can never have too much of the king of country. And i got to disciple my kids in that way. And so that's important, discipleship. And, and so playlists for everything. But when I think of, you know, these summer hits and this playlist, my, my favorite playlist of all being the Bible. If I think of my number one hit on the playlist, it's this verse right here in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. If I was giving a title to the song today, if you will, it would be Last Words. Now, I want to give you some context for this passage that we're looking at today. Just set you up before we dive into it. The Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life. Now, uh, for those of you who remember maybe from our Forward series, the Apostle Paul was changed by Jesus in a dramatic way. He was a, a opponent of Christianity. In fact, uh, when he and Jesus, uh, when their lives intersected, Paul was uh, taking Christians into custody and arresting them for their belief. And uh, when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road, it changed the entire trajectory of his life. And he goes from being Saul, the persecutor of the faith, to Paul, the great apostle of the faith. And from that point on, he began to work tirelessly on behalf of the church. He was advancing the kingdom. Uh, He was planting churches. He was making disciples. He was raising funds to help churches that he was planting. There was no one like Paul at that time. And we could say no one like Paul since for that matter. He was a man that was changed by Jesus, and he suffered greatly for it. In fact, the setting of 2 Timothy is a prison. That's where Paul 
is penning this letter from, and it's very unlike his first imprisonment. His first imprisonment was in rented quarters, and he could have friends come and go as they pleased, but uh, this imprisonment is very different. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says that he is bound, Paul's testimony, I am bound in chains as a criminal. We're talking about a dark, we're talking about a damp, we're talking about a lonely, isolated place. I mean, this prison was prison. If you've ever seen that show, uh, Locked Up Abroad, that's what we're talking about here, okay? Uh, that's my nightmare, by the way. I'm not mentally tough. If I get locked up abroad, please come get me. It ain't going to be good. Paul here, he's awaiting what's about to happen to him. And he's been in this prison, and he's had a lot of time to think and reflect on his ministry. He's been following Jesus for 30 years at this time, laboring, working, getting after it for the glory of God. And he senses the end is near, and so he he takes his pen, he takes the scroll, and he begins to write whom he refers to as his young son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy's a, a guy that he helped lead to Christ. It's a guy that he helped disciple and he helped raise up. These guys have done a lot of life together, a lot of water under the bridge doing ministry together. They've worked hard, they've served together, prayed together, traveled together, been through tough times together. Paul loved Timothy. And this book, these, this small letter in our New Testament contains the last words that Timothy would ever receive from his mentor, the person that invested his life into him. And so you better believe when he received this letter, Timothy leaned in. These words had some weight. And I think they'll have weight for us today as we lean in and listen to some of these last words from the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. The Bible says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If you've ever been around anyone speaking their last words, you know there's a weight to them. I was just with a family this week whose mom is on hospice, young lady in our church, 40 plus years old, and the end is nearing. And with every word she speaks, the family just leans in. It could be last words. You don't forget final words words. That's why I chose this verse as my summer hit, because I want this verse, specifically verse 7, to be my last words. I, I don't want there to be any question. I've already told my wife, Debbie, listen, when I go, uh, and I'm certainly going to go before her, uh, when I go, I said, let there be no question. I want 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to be on my gravestone. I want there uh, to be a, a weight uh, to uh, this verse for you today where Paul says, I fought a good fight, I finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I was first introduced to this verse as a second grader. Uh, my aunt uh, enjoyed cross-stitching. 
and she cross-stitched my name uh, in a little frame and put a picture beside it, and uh, she did this for my older brother and my younger sister and me. I was the middle child. If we have any middle children out here, I feel for you. We're going to start a support group here in the next couple weeks. We'll let you know about it. Uh, but uh, uh, I would stare at that picture. You know, it's amazing what you remember from your home growing up. And there's a reason when uh, we're told Moses said, man, put the Shema uh, on your door frames of your house. You want to see it. And I can remember in my house we had these pictures. In fact, I brought it to you right here so you can see it. Uh, this is the picture. Me in the second grade. All right. I was looking good then. All right. And uh, I can remember this being there. And I would, I would just stare at it, being in our living room. Now, uh, when uh, we left the house for college, uh, my parents redid the house and, uh, you know, got rid of my room and my brother's room, my sister's room, and I'm not offended by that. But uh, anyway, they got rid of this too, and I said, well, look, I want that, and I keep it in my office uh, upstairs in my study uh, at the church. And it's just got my name right here alongside this verse. And this verse just got in my heart. I would read it. I remember my sister's verse. It was Proverbs 31, a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. I don't remember the verse. I don't really remember my brother's verse. I think it was like the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't remember. Uh, But that was my older brother's verse. Uh, But this verse right here, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I mean, it got in my heart. And it became my life verse. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. A couple of weeks ago, I had a pastor friend of mine who I had looked up to, put on a pedestal. Probably my fault for putting him on a pedestal, but I, I loved him. And it uh, came out that he had hidden some sin uh, in, in his life, and he got exposed and ended up losing his entire ministry, kind of lost his integrity, his reputation. And the first thing that I thought of was this verse right here, because what it goes to show is this is not how we start that matters so much. It's how we finish. And that's what this verse is about. I want to finish well. I want this for me. I want this for you. I want this for our church that not only do we finish well, but when we speak our last words, that there is a weight to them. There is a significance to them. That they're spoken with integrity and with faithfulness. Well, how can we ensure that we do this? I want to give you three truths out of this passage of Scripture that I think will help us finish well and with integrity. As we one day will speak our last words. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to. All of the scripture references we look at will be on the screen. All of the points as well. First point is this. Our life is not our own. You want to finish well? You want to finish strong? You want your last words to have some weight attached to them? You want to to speak with integrity and faithfulness? You realize your life is not your own. Look at verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul wrote, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's using this Old Testament sacrificial language set up in the Levitical priesthood that when they would uh, offer a drink offering at the very end of the sacrificial ceremony, they would pour that drink offering around the base of that altar. And Paul is simply describing his life as a sacrifice. It's very illustrative of what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is my life right now. I'm being poured out. I'm being emptied out. And what's interesting is the tense behind this language shows that God is the acting agent behind it. In other words, Paul's life, it's Paul's life that's being poured out. But check this, it's God that's doing it. And so God is emptying him out. He's the one behind it all. Paul knew that when he came to Jesus, he was giving up writes to his life. His life was no longer his own. In fact, he would write the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 
Second part, verse 20, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Paul was well aware that when you follow Jesus and you sign up to follow Jesus, you're signing over the rights to your life. You no longer get to call the shots. He uses this sacrificial language in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. If you want to know what it is to worship God, it's not to come to church, although that's good. We want you coming to church. It's not to attend Bible studies, although that's good. Bible studies will help you grow in your faith. But if you want to know how your worship of God is measured, it's how much of your life is offered as a sacrifice to the Lord. Is your mind the Lord? Is your eyes, students, are they the Lord's? What you're looking at, what you're you're allowing in is the gatekeeper to your life. Are your hands the Lord's, your feet the Lord, your sex organs the Lord? Are you offering your entire body as a sacrifice to God? Paul, when he came to Christ, Jesus didn't just get some of Paul. He got all of Paul. And this is what it means for our life to be a sacrifice. That's what sacrifices do. They give up their life. Here Paul is in prison, being poured out as a drink offering, he said. And again, God's the one behind it. Now, just a side street here. We won't stay here very long, but what does that do for your theology? The fact that God was the one pouring Paul's life out. I mean, you can write it down. God permits pain. God allows heartache. God uses trials and tribulations in our life, and sometimes it's his will that we go into the fire and into the prison, and it may even be his will that we don't make it out. I'm uh, working on a project right now. I'm going to go up to Colorado next Sunday. And uh, if you've never heard of Right Now Media, it's essentially a a Christian-based Netflix, if you will. And so I'm filming an eight-part video series for Right Now Media. It's going to be an eight-part Bible study. And the title of the Bible study is called Trite, Not True. And what I've taken is Christian sayings that we have held on to through the years. We think they're Christian sayings. And we say them to people, and they sound good, but they're not true. Like this one. I'm going to take this one apart. Uh, You're never more safe than when you're in the will of God. You ever heard that? Not true. I mean, safe? Are you kidding me? Paul's in prison right in the middle of God's will, and he's about to be beheaded. Now, never more secure than when you're in the will of God, but safe. Think about John the Baptist. Scripture says, no man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist, and he was beheaded. So, there's a nod to the sovereignty of God here. And if you were to read the fine print, you can hear... Paul speaking these words as he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. My life is not my own. God is pouring me out. He is doing with my life whatever he sees fit. And I am trusting him and entrusting my life to him. I so wish we could have heard the tone 
in Paul's voice as he wrote this letter. I don't think that it was one of defeat. When you read this passage, you don't hear a man who's broken by his circumstances or feeling sorry for himself. That's not who Paul was. Paul would write the church in Philippi, and he would say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ is to die as gain. Like, I'm ready to go. If I need to stay here, and that means fruitful labor on your behalf, fine. But I would rather depart and be with Christ because that's far better. He was ready to go, ready to give his life. When he was making his final trip into Jerusalem, the elders of the church were trying to prevent him from going because they knew it wasn't going to be good. Paul, you do not need to be in Jerusalem. And do you remember what he spoke? Acts chapter 21, verse 13. Paul answered them and said, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul viewed his life as a sacrifice to God. His life was no longer his own. And so he had this mindset, he had this perspective that God, my life is yours. It's not my own. And so if that means prison, so be it. If that means suffering, so be it. My life is a sacrifice. It's amazing. You don't hear, read this letter this afternoon. You won't read any grumbling. You won't read any complaining. What's even more amazing than that is you won't read any petition to even get out of what he's in. Like, that would have been the first thing that I would have wrote. Like, if I was writing and pinning 2 Timothy, uh, here's how I would have, uh, 1 Timothy, here's how I would have started it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. I would have said Jarrett, an apostle of Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Please do whatever you can to get me out of this prison. That's what I would have wrote right there. Like, this is miserable. Call the church to pray. Do something. Uh, Send SEAL Team 6. Get me out of here. But that's not what Paul says. In fact, he's even hardly thinking of himself at all. Instead, he's thinking of Timothy. He's thinking of these churches. He's encouraging him to keep going and to finish strong. Why? Because he knew his life was not his own. We're going to finish well, finish with integrity. We've got, to, we've got to understand our life is not our own. Secondly, we need to understand that our life is full of ups and downs. Um, one of the things I'm most excited about in our church right now is our residency program. When I was first being interviewed, and I see Brother Ed out here. Ed, always owe you for uh, calling me to be the pastor here. Ed Lara. Um, Ed was the only one I couldn't figure out on that search committee, by the way. Man, I tried. I couldn't read him to save my life. Uh, but he represented you very well. And one of the first things that I told him I wanted to do was to create a residency program because what I noticed is we didn't have a feeder system uh, in our ministry. When we went to a multi-site approach, which again, I'm for, we sent some of our best people out, whether it was to our North Klein campus or here to Jersey Village, and we had no backfill. And so we needed a feeder system where we could train young pastors to raise them up in our organization or send them out to other like-minded churches all over the country. I mean, here's a great church like Champion Forest, well-resourced, has a great reputation. We really believe in what we're doing. And so we want to be a place that trains men, men, uh, uh, young ministers up and sends them out. That's why we created the Damon Shook Residency Program in name of our uh, pastor who was here for 28 years, Damon Shook. And so these residents come in and they're working on their seminary degree. They 
have to be within 10 years of their high school education, working on their seminary degree in one hand, and then they're on staff with us on the other hand. And we just believe when you put those two things together, we're training up some great pastors to, again, raise up or send out. We didn't have any residents 18 months ago. Do you know by the end of next month, we will have 20 residents on our team, training them up, and our goal is to raise them up in our organization or send them out. You, you allow this when you give. And you can give specifically to the residency program if God directs your heart to do it. Um, but what I'm excited about is uh, tomorrow we have a groundbreaking event at the Lanier uh, Library. Uh, Mark, of course, uh, is a very successful lawyer, been a member of Champion Force for a long time. Uh, his wife, Becky, was on the search committee as well. And so God knit Mark, Mark and I's heart together very early on. And I remember uh, him saying, so what do you want to do? And I casted the vision for the residency program. I'm a product of a residency program. I wrote my doctoral dissertation on the residency program. So I was passionate about this. And uh, just kind of told him just what I told you, what we wanted to do. And uh, he came back a couple of weeks later. He said, where are they going to live? And I said, well, we'll just put these residents in homes of members. And uh, there's plenty of members of Champion Force who have an extra room in their house. And they can just live there. And he goes, well, what if I build them housing here on the library's campus? I said, that would be very nice of you to do. And so uh, he came through and did it. And, um, and, and so tomorrow we have a groundbreaking where he's going to actually build housing there on the library's campus so they can uh, live there, go to school, do all their schooling through the library. Yeah, it's great. And, 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 um, and so we have a great partnership with the library. But I had these residents in, and I was talking to them about expectations and reality because, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a, a job or marriage uh, whatever it may be, what I told them is, I need you to, to know what we're expecting of you, and I need you to know what to expect, because when your expectations are here and reality's down here, that gap in the middle is what we call the frustration gap. And the wider that gap is, the greater your frustration is. None of you married couples better say amen, okay? But that's, that's the reality. And the only way I know to close that gap is you have to communicate your expectations. And so that's what we were doing with these residents. Well, I thought about that, 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 that frustration gap and closing the, the expectations and reality window when I read this passage of Scripture with Paul because Paul's expectations of his life uh, lined up with his reality of his life. I don't know where the teaching came from. I don't know why the church is susceptible to it. Maybe it's just the bad teaching. Maybe it's just the culture that we live in. But somehow we were taught that once you come to Jesus, all your problems go away. Or at a minimum, once you come to Jesus and you have hardships, you at least should make it through them on the other side. Be delivered from all your trials and all your tribulations. But this line of thinking, as we've seen, is foreign to the Scripture. I mean, it's clear. When you enter into a relationship with Christ, your life is full of ups and downs. And it may even be more full of downs than ups. Paul chose his language very clearly here. In verse 7, he says, life's a fight. He says it's a race. Describes it as one of war, a competition. And again, he's been following Jesus for 30 years, and he's accomplished some remarkable feats. God has used him in a great way. Planting churches all over the world, reaching hundreds of thousands of people for Jesus Christ. But look at his life. 
way more downs than ups. In fact, his testimony, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25 through 28, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from these things there was this daily pressure on me for my anxiety of all the churches. Sign me up. Are you kidding me? I mean, talk about downs. Here's one of the most choice servants of God to ever live. And I want you to notice at the end of his life, he's not surrounded by his loved ones in the comforts of his living room. Instead, he's in a dungeon 12 feet below the ground, the Mamertine prison in Rome. He's about to be beheaded by Emperor Nero. I didn't think bad things were supposed to happen to good people. I didn't think bad things were supposed to happen to God's people. And here, Paul's destroying that line of thought. He said, when you sign up to follow me, you better understand it's not going to be easy. And you better understand it's going to be full of ups and downs. And may even be more downs than ups. We get our word, uh, uh, he says, I fought a good fight. That word fight, it's a contest. It's a struggle. It's a wrestling. He says, I fought. It's where we get our word agony from. I agonize. That's what life is. It's a war full of ups and downs. And again, according to the sovereignty of God, may be more downs than ups. And we need to make sure that when we enter into this relationship with Christ, and even as believers, some of us have been sidelined. You know, I think about running the race, and Paul told, told the Galatians church, who cut in on you? Why did you give up? Why are you distracted? Why did you get discouraged? Some of you are Christians. You're, you were in the race, but you're not anymore. Because somebody cut in on you, hurt your feelings, offended you. And you just stopped running. And, and, and the, the lesson that we need to take from today is, look, expectations and reality, we've got to line them up. There's going to be disappointments, going to be heartache, going to be struggles. This is, the, this is all of life. The psalmist said, Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Christianity is never supposed to be easy. Easy Christianity is not biblical Christianity. Cultural Christianity, maybe. Biblical Christianity is hard. I mean, we've got an enemy to fight. An enemy who the Bible says is out to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And I take that as literal. You've got a sin nature in you, in me, this flesh that is waging war against our soul and its desires. You got this world that's constantly tempting us to, to run away from the Lord and to not follow hard after Him. You better believe it's a fight, but it's a worthy fight. Paul said, I fought a good fight. And so it's, it's a worthy fight to fight for your purity and your fidelity. It's a worthy fight to fight for your faithfulness to your family and to lead them in a way that honors God. It's a worthy fight to fight for our unity as a church, and we've got to fight for our unity as a church. It's a worthy fight. I keep this quote on my desk at home and read it often to remind me every day that I'm in a war, I'm in a battle. It reminds me of this proper expectation. I mean, we've got to know this and realize this. It's by Counselor Ed Welch. It says this, how long do we fight? 
We fight against the desires that wage war in our soul throughout our entire lives. This is the normal Christian life. It ends when we have been fully made perfect, either through death or Jesus' return. See, this life, this life is supposed to wear us out in such a way that we long for a better day. That we long for a greater day. And that's what Paul mentions in this final verse, at least to the final point. If we're to finish with integrity, we need to understand and realize our life is not our own. Our life is full of ups and downs. And then third and finally, our life is rewarded in eternity. This is verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also all who have loved his appearing. How do we stay motivated in the fight? How do we make sure that we don't give up running this race? Paul's motivation? The crown of life. Now, we don't know fully what this crown is. We know it's synonymous with eternal life. There are actually five eternal crowns that we see. It'd be a great uh, sermon series one day to just each week look at these five different eternal crowns. So I wish I had more time to go into it. What we do know is that it's only rewarded to those who are in the fight, those who are in the race. And as Paul says right here, finish the race. A couple of months ago, I took my family to Disney. We went on a Disney cruise. We loved it, had the time of our life. I've got a junior that's going to be a senior. I've got a, a freshman in high school. I've got a junior in high school, freshman. I've got too many. I don't even remember. Junior in high school, freshman in high school, and then two fourth graders, all girls, present in my own sorority house, all right? And so we took, I took these girls to Disney, and uh, we had a time of our life, but you know, if you're like me, if you've ever been on one of these cruises, I mean, all I do is eat. Uh, the only exercise I get is from my room to the buffet line, all right? Walk through the buffet line. I eat, eat, eat. Well, about the third or fourth day, I, I mean, I was starting to feel a little gross, man. I mean, I was like, I got to do something. I've done nothing but eat. And um, they had a 5K that at Castaway Key, this is Disney's island in the Caribbean, you get off and, and you can run the 5K. So I talked to a couple of my, the older girls. I said, why don't we run the 5K? And they're like, all right. So we get out and run that 5K. It's hot. I hadn't done any exercise in a few days. Man, it took me a while to finish that 5K. But here's the thing. When I, when I finished, look what they gave me. I brought it with me just so y'all didn't think I was lying to you. They gave me my own little medal. And I put this on. Yeah, you can applaud. I earned this, all right? I put this on. And I was so tired, y'all. I mean, I hadn't done anything. I mean, I was so proud of myself for finishing. And I went over there, and I laid on the, the little beach deal. And I look over about that time, and my wife's walking back over. She had gone somewhere to do something. She didn't run it. And she goes, hey, look what I got. And she had one of these. <laughs> I said, that ain't fair. Where'd you get that? And she's like, they just gave it to me. I just asked them, and they gave it to me. I said, whoa, whoa, no way. You didn't earn that. Uh, I don't know much about the crown of righteousness. But I do know it ain't like Disney. They don't just give them out to make you happy. 
crown of righteousness you got to get by being in the race. you got to get by being in the fight. This was Paul's last words. And you read his letters. You can read in 1 Corinthians 9, Philippians chapter 3. This reward was in front of him. He said, I forget what lies behind. I press on toward what's ahead. He said, I'm like a runner. I, I don't box beating the wind. I make it my ambition not just to finish, but to finish well, to win the prize. His eyes weren't on his outward circumstances. It wasn't on what was going on around him. He had his eyes on that future day that he would stand before Jesus. The reformer Martin Luther said, I've got two days on my calendar. This day, today's the day the Lord has made. I rejoice and be glad. This day and that day. That day I stand before Christ. You want to finish well, finish with integrity. Put those two days on your calendar. This day and that day. And I'm praying that this summer hit of mine, that's been on repeat since I was in the second grade, would be on repeat in your life. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Would you pray with me? Heads bowed and eyes are closed. Listen, I want to give you an opportunity today. You're here. You've been listening to me preach today, and the truth is you're not in the fight. You're not in the fight. You're not in the race, meaning you've never trusted Jesus with your life. You've never given him the lordship of your life. You've been going your own way, doing your own thing, and let's be honest, it ain't working out. And today, God has used this message to speak to your heart. You know you need to give your life to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and begin following him. You need to enroll in the fight. You need to sign up for the race. And the way you do it is by a simple prayer of faith, saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Just pray it. It's a simple prayer of faith. Jesus sees the posture of your heart. He hears the words that you pray. And just in your own words, ask him to forgive you and to come and live inside of you. Say, Jesus, I'm signing up for the race today. And I'm telling you, God can change you. You can leave here a different person. Because what God does is he changes you from the inside out. If that's you, you just pray and ask Jesus into your heart. Others of you, you're Christians. You're in the race. You're in the fight. But like I talked about earlier, man, somebody cut you off. Somebody distracted you or something in your life distracted you. And you have just been sidelined. You're in the race. But you're not putting forth any effort. I'm telling you the, the application today, the invitation for you is start running again. Come on. God loves you. Whatever he has allowed into your life, it's filtered through his holy hands. And so as his children, we can trust him. We don't get mad at God. When we signed up to follow him, we said, God, my life is no longer my own. And so some of you need to get back in the race today. And just say, God, I... That's on me. I got discouraged. I got disillusioned. My expectation and my reality were off, and I blamed you. God, I'm coming back to you today. That needs to be the invitation for some of you. Some of you, you need to join this church. You've been visiting Champion Forest, Jersey Village, and God's led you here. Man, we need you. We want to lock arms with you so that we can reach our community for Christ. So why don't you come forward and we'll get you signed up for our next new members class. And that's where you can become a member of our church. Or maybe you need to be baptized like the 18 middle school students we baptized this week. You need to get in the waters of baptism and show the world what you believe and to whom you belong. I have no idea what decision you need to make, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. 
And then we're going to stand and sing. We're going to have our prayer partners right down here. And if you need to make a decision, you just come tell them. And we'll make sure that we get the resources in your hand that we want you to have to help you grow in your faith. We'll make sure we tell the right people. If you need prayer, they're going to be here for prayer. I have no idea what God's doing in your heart. But I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and sing. And I want you to respond. Father, in Jesus' name, this is your time of invitation. It's an opportunity for us to pray opportunity for us to respond to the teaching and preaching of your word and so lord god would you do in this moment what only you can do in jesus name amen and amen as you look up thank you for joining us online we hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you at champion forest we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know god to grow in their relationship with him and others and then to go out and make a difference in the world we would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you to connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.